Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have with me today Jerry McTighe, who has extensive experience as a copywriter, a screenwriter, a writer of all kinds of documents. He has won awards, and he has taken on the mission to help get rid of pretentious language in business communications. And I will bet as we talk that as Jerry gives some examples of these, which are in his book, Business Blather, that you will immediately recognize what we're talking about. Jerry, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Pat. Thanks for having me. On the cover of your book, just to spare you from having to dredge things up out of your memory is a statement that I think is quite indicative of what you talk about in your book. Our backward compatible ability to transition extensively allows us to leverage on a global scale, empowering our infomediaries with the metrics needed to boost synergy across diverse platforms. Can you tell me what that means, Jerry? No. These are words that people use that um, sound good, um, but they really say nothing. And it's become almost a cult in the the corporate world um, where uh, you feel you have to use bewildering jargon and as you mentioned, pretentious pretentious language and acronyms and buzzwords and all that. And and while it sounds good and uh, it's it's swaggering and, and impressive and all that, People are sitting there with contorted facial expressions, wondering what the heck you're talking about. So uh, this is pretty rampant in the business world. And I see uh, tremendous opportunities by businesses, large and small, that, that use this kind of language in their communications and their advertising and everything else. Um, and they're just uh, they're losing their audience and they don't realize it. They, they think they're, they're doing some, some good communication there. But... Uh, but they're not. And um, so I, I wrote this book to point out examples of what business blather is. And, um, and then I followed by you know, each example, a better way to express, express it more concisely, um, more clearly, and with more impact. Where does so. this come from, Jerry? How does this type of language get started how is it viewed as acceptable or maybe why is it viewed as acceptable? Can you help us figure this out? Yeah, I think in business, you know, people like to swagger, they like to uh, show their knowledge and they come up with, they coin these kind of buzzwords and, and jargon 
And a lot of it is inside the company and they use it in their meetings and, uh, and their uh, you know, communications and email and stuff like that. And what happens is it kind of creeps outside into their communications in the external world. And they don't realize that, that people don't understand a lot of these terms. And they really have to know who their customer is and how, what the knowledge level of their customer is. Uh, are they able to um, determine what this means? If, if, and if they can't, and, and they, maybe they should test it or focus group it or whatever. But um, there's, there's so much of it going around that uh, it's become, and this, is, this has been going on for decades, um, where people feel they have to sound corporate in order to, to be corporate, in order to impress people. Um, so um, it's, it's pretty hard to get out of it <laughs> because it, we've been doing it so long that uh, it's just become ingrained in our discourse. So I'm hoping that the book will you know, encourage people to, to really look at what they're saying and, and trying to communicate and, and to find out if anybody, their, their typical customer, uh, knows what they're talking about. There was a, a point when I assumed leadership of my professional association for legal nurse consultants, and we mm-hmm. knew we had to change management companies. We ultimately settled on a company in Chicago. And I remember walking into the meeting in which this was an important one where we were interviewing them. And the expressions that came out of their mouths left me scratching my head. Now they're commonplace. At the time, they were not. I remember them talking about the low-hanging fruit, which now we all know about that. And the rising tide floats all boats. I sat there saying, now let me make sure I understand what it is you're talking about. And there were several expressions like that, that they were all comfortably bantering about. And those of us who were interviewing them were looking at them as if, I know you're speaking English, but Hmm. can you translate for us? And they would laugh and explain what they were saying. It was so much their language that I don't think it ever occurred to them that we didn't understand some of those expressions. Yeah, you have to be sensitive to people and what they might know and what they might not, you know, especially to your audience. Um, you know, people assume you, you have prior knowledge. Uh, I go on a lot of websites and um, I'm very frustrated sometimes because like for instance, I went on a project management software um, website uh, because I was interested in maybe, you know, bringing a little uh, order into the chaos of all the projects I undertake. And they started talking about things that I had no idea what they were, these terms. Um, and uh, I had to keep on leaving the site and Googling certain words to find out what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And most people aren't going to do this. They're just going to say, you know what, forget it. I'll go, I'll go to some other site. And they're gone. Uh, you have 15 seconds. The average visit to a website lasts 15 seconds. And this is probably why, because if you don't come up with a decent uh, product or service or benefit within 15 seconds, they're going to be gone. And uh, so you really have to think about, you really have to get everything up front. Um, people have a hard time getting to the point today. You know, um, they kind of dance around the topic like Fred Astaire. Uh, they have these drum rolls and 
lead ups and build ups, you know, for this big reveal, you know. Well, breaking news, people aren't interested in your big reveal. They're interested in knowing what you're selling, what it can do for me, how I can benefit from it. And that's it. Uh, so uh, if you don't get that right up top, you're going to lose your customer. And a lot of people, a lot of businesses are large and small. They're losing business because they're not communicating properly. Because in this you know, nanosecond attention span world, um, people don't have the patience anymore. It's not a good thing. You know, people should have patience, but they don't. So you have to realize that and, and really make your communications hit, hit the mark right away. And how does a company know that they are missing the mark where they're losing their customers with the wording that they provide on websites or marketing materials? Yeah, um, you know, they could be a successful company, but maybe they're not, you know, maybe they're getting 80% of sales when they could get 100%. Uh, uh, smaller companies, it's very hard to know. Um, but if, if you're not doing well, maybe you should, first thing you should look at is your communications, your website, your emails. Are they too long? Are they too wordy? Um, do they take a long time to get to the point? Um, this is where testing comes in. Um, you know, you could you could run two, have two different websites or two different, you know, email is good for testing. Mm -hmm. uh, you could test different lengths, different verbiage, and see which, see which uh, do better. Um, but a lot of times they don't know. They think they've got a great website out there and their emails are really going to hit. And they don't know that no one's telling them. So um, I'm hoping to do that in my book, uh, at least make them aware of what they're saying and maybe find a typical customer and say, hey, what does this mean to you? I noticed, and you gave me a copy of your book. Thank you. I noticed you had, you drank the Kool-Aid. You had short paragraphs. You had um, short chapters. You went through it in a very logical, organized way. I'm envisioning you, Jerry, sitting there looking at websites saying, that's a great example right there. I need to include that. How did you pull all of this together? It took me a whole career, basically, because mm -hmm. I, this has been one of my pet peeves for a long, long time. And I, and to be honest, I used to write this kind of stuff when I first started out. I figured, oh, wait, this is the way it's supposed to sound. Real corporate and, got, you know, got to sound uh, pretentious and slick and uh, stilted and all that. And then I realized, you know, everybody's writing the same thing. You know, if I want to stand out, I don't want to mimic what they're doing. I want to write something that's different, that's really going to wake people up and say, hey, wow, this is, this is kind of neat. So, um, so over my career, I've, I've been just bothered by this kind of you know, lingo and usage of words. And um, I finally said enough. You know, I want to I share some of my wisdom, what I've learned through my mm -hmm. career, and hopefully uh, can rub off on, on other people. And tell us a little bit about your career. You have... Um, identified yourself as a copywriter. How can our listener pick up skill you've acquired over your lifetime? And of course, buying your book is part of the answer. I, I know. But how can we overcome some of those writing stumbling blocks that we have? 
Well, to become an advertising copywriter, it's really a catch-22. You, you, you can't you know, get a job unless you have a portfolio and you can't get a portfolio unless you have a job. So what I did early on is I created a spec portfolio. I, I took existing brands and um, I'm not an artist, but I have a fairly good sense of design. And I created these, these mock ads um, and then you know, finally got me a job. And, um, and that's how I started it. But it takes, it takes a long time to become a copywriter, uh, become a good copywriter. It's different from content writing. Content writing is more of the journalistic kind of writing, which a lot of people can do. But copywriting takes a different kind of skill. It takes uh, a persuasive skill. Um, it takes, you have to appeal to people's emotions. You have to be more creative. So um, it, it takes a while to develop those skills. So a lot of people think they can transition easily from content writing, you know, write blogs or things like that. Well, I can become a copywriter too, but it's not that easy. Um, so I would advise um, if, if you wanna get into the cop copywriting, look, look at what everybody else is doing, pick out ads that you think are really working that make you wanna buy something and try to not mimic, but to use those kind of ideas in, in your own writing. So um, th that's, how, that's how I became a writer. It took, it took many years. Uh, I worked at different agencies in New York. I was really, uh, I grew up in New York City in Manhattan and I was always fascinated by the energy, not only of the city, but of Madison Avenue. Um, and I was lulled, you know, pulled into that, um, that whole advertising thing. And uh, I really, I really love it. And, and I never wanted to become one of these management creative directors because I always wanted to be in the trenches doing the fun stuff, doing the creative stuff. And I'm still doing it and um, I love it. So um, in addition to writing books and things like that, um, I do a lot of copywriting. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was showing to somebody last week who was giving me a critique of sales copy I had on my website to sell a particular bundle of products. Mm -hmm. And she said she had noticed a shift. And I'm curious if you have as well, that after the pandemic began, the language in some of the copywriting changed. We used to, and her words were, we used to pile on all the pain points. And are you feeling this? And is this you? And are you bothered by that? She said what she is seeing is less emphasis on the pain points and more emphasis on the benefits of whatever product or program the person is marketing. Mm -hmm. Is this something that resonates with you or do you think this is just her individual experience? There's, there are two camps, you know, some people think you, you present the problem, you know, a pain point, a problem that people have, and then you solve it for them. And a, and a lot of times that really works. It's like negative political advertising. They say it works a lot better than positive political advertising. And it might be true, um, but other people think that if you, know, if you have a good brand and uh, you're well-known and liked, that you don't wanna really ruffle people's feathers. You don't wanna be too negative. So they have more positive kind of advertising. Um, that, would, that would get into the, the area of advertising research, you know, where you, 
sort of do studies on, on what works and what doesn't work. But uh, I kind of I kind of like the uh, problem solution kind of thing where you, mm-hmm. where you and it could be funny and when it's humorous it's it's more acceptable than when it's not. But if if you know you have a product where you know someone's having a problem um, getting something done or eating or whatever and um, you know you make it humorous and then of course then you come up with the with your product which is the better solution um, that works. You know, it's like the uh, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, you know, Alka-Seltzer yes. um, kind of thing. Uh, they, they, had, they, they built a whole, you know, industry practically on, on that kind of advertising um, and, and have these classic kind of, kind of ads. So, um, you know, it depends on what the project is, but I get into both types of advertising where you have to be positive sometimes and sometimes you really have to point out what's wrong with a, with a product or um, a procedure that you're doing and how you can improve it. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you are, you're familiar with the use of stories. This book happens to be on my desk, building mm-hmm. a story brand. Donald Miller has become very well known in terms of promoting the use of the story. What do you see as a, a writer in terms of the value of using stories when you are promoting your products or services? I, I think it, people love stories. You know, people are naturally attracted to stories. That's why, especially during a pandemic, everybody's in front of their TV every, every evening watching all of these great series that are streaming. So um, if you have the time and the money that you can create commercials and ads that tell a story, by all means, do it, uh, but but make it interesting because, as I said, if if uh, if you don't know your audience and and you take too long to get to the point, you're going to lose you're gonna lose that audience. So, so make it make it a good story, uh, make it engaging, and uh, and you should do fine. Uh, but telling a story uh, in a thirty second TV commercial is not that easy, especially if you sure. want to get your, your product ID up there. So. Um, yeah, but I do, I do believe, definitely believe in the story mm-hmm. aspect. Yeah. It reminds me, as you were talking about this, of some of the early stories that uh, Apple Computer came out with to promote their products and then to contrast them to Microsoft. And they grabbed people's attention because they were so different. Of, um, and I, I can't recall all the details, but there was one commercial where the big reveal was that it led to the Apple products, or there was somebody sitting with an Apple computer whipping through things, and the poor guy with a PC is sitting there laboring and laboring to get things done. Those types of commercials have a story in them, even though it's not the traditional once upon a time type of story with a, it's a, a, an intriguing opening and then a solution, which is of course the product. Right. I remember those ads that you're talking about. Mm. And, and now Microsoft is turning it around against Apple. They've, they've got these commercials where a guy has a, the surface and uh, um, you know, the, the, guy, the guy who has the Apple doesn't have the surface, doesn't have the removable screen and, and uh, his is much cheaper and all that. So they're giving it back to them. And it, you know, what goes around comes around in advertising eventually. Yes. 
Well, this was not your first book, Jerry. Can you tell our viewer a little bit about the other books that you wrote? Um, are they all self-published? Were they published by traditional publishers? Tell us about your writing experience, because part of the focus of this podcast mm -hmm. is called Writing to Get Business and using mm -hmm. nonfiction books in a very specific way to open up new opportunities. So I'm curious about how that's worked for you. Yeah, I, I started out writing humor books. Um, I did sort of a takeoff on Life's Little Instruction book by doing mm -hmm. Life's Little Frustration book. And it's all those things that happen to us in our daily lives that, that are you know, frustrating, but they're funny too. And uh, St. Martin's Press picked it up. And uh, so I did two versions, um, Life's Little Frustration book and more Life's Little Frustrations. Um, I also did uh, a book, You Know Your Middle Age When, which was a humor book. Um, mm -hmm. like, you know, your middle age when it takes you two tries to get off the couch, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, and they were pretty successful. So, um, uh, that was by, that was Penguin that, that published that book. And then, and then I decided, you know, I wasn't very happy with the royalty system and the fact that they, they held books, you know, they, they call it return reserve for returns or something like that. So. It took you a long time to get your money, unless you got a big advance up front, which I didn't get, and many people don't get. Um, you know, you have to wait a long time to get the money, to see the money from the book that you wrote. Even if, if you have several thousand, you sold several thousand copies, uh, they sort of stretch it out over a long period of time. So uh, then I started doing, I started publishing my own books. I published about two or three books now. And I found one, that I sold online, I sold a few thousand copies and it still sells. So um, I created this, um, this publishing company called Pick Me Up Books. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's basically, uh, I published my own books through it. And um, I, do, I do the paperbacks, I do, uh, I do Kindle versions and um, you know, it, it, it works for me. So I'm, uh, I may not go back to the tr traditional publishers unless something really takes off and they come to me with a great deal. Um, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And books are kind of like uh, like a sideline for me. As I mentioned, most of my work is, is advertising. I, I do a lot of LinkedIn profiles now because um, mm. they're very, very important, um, more so than ever, especially with the pandemic and a lot of people looking for jobs. So, um, so that's really the bread and butter of my business is the copywriting, but I love to write books. And uh, I've got a few, a few more in my mind I have to get out. And, uh, but uh, right now I'm uh, kind of, you know, doing the bladder thing for a while. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I would think that there would be a lot of demand for your services, writing LinkedIn profiles, because that is something that I think people don't know how to do well and yet it's critical, particularly if they're in the job market, that those profiles are enticing, that they yeah. make the person stand out. They don't sound like everyone else right. who's had that type of a role. You, you, you hit it perfectly. Uh, everybody says the same thing. You know, everybody, everybody is the problem solver. Everybody uh, is a leader. Um, they, they, they all say the same thing right up front. And recruiters know that you're not something simply because you say you are. If, <laughs> True. You know, one of the most ridiculous things people say is, I'm results driven. 
uh, well, you know, how foolish does that sound? Because, you know, it begs a sarcastic response. Oh, your results driven? I'm sorry, we're looking for slackers who aren't interested in accomplishing anything, but thanks for applying. <laughs> you know, um, they, they, they use these words that, um, that really have no meaning. So I, I say in my LinkedIn profiles and, and resume, whatever you're, you're writing is, is put your greatest hits up front um, and be specific. If you're a problem solver, what problem did you solve? Uh, if you're a team, if, if you're a team player, how did you play with a team that really worked out for you or your company? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's what people want to know. They don't want to know mm-hmm. about your 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 empty boasts that you are something that they don't know if you are or not. You may be, but they don't know. So that just goes right by them. And and LinkedIn, and you, you mentioned uh, LinkedIn has become more and more um, critical to getting a job. Everybody's checking you out on LinkedIn, more and more people, not only uh, recruiters and employers, but colleagues, uh, maybe supervisors who are considering you for promotion. So you better have that thing really nice. And, and, and most of those, uh, most of the LinkedIn profiles I see are under, undeveloped, underutilized, um, uninspired, very dull, very sketchy, People leave out entire sections. The about section is a wonderful, if you talk about storytelling, that's a great place. You have 2,600 characters to tell your story. Don't just list bullet points of where you've been and what you've done. Tell your story, you know, what makes you better than the next guy? Um, so that's, that's where I, I come in and helping people with their profiles uh, is the about mm-hmm. section and the experience section to really present it in a very engaging and exciting way. And those individuals benefit from working with you because the majority of profiles need attention or don't get looked at often enough. Uh, The other thing that you said that triggered a thought was that supervisors could be checking your profile, thinking about you in terms of a promotion, which then led me to think about, be careful what you post on social media. If your supervisor may be thinking about that, you know, don't say you you had to call in sick today because you had a stomach ache and then post pictures of you frolicking on the grass with your friends and having a picnic. Yeah, that wouldn't be too smart, especially on LinkedIn. Maybe on Facebook, if, if your uh, workmates aren't you know, on Facebook and you, you're among your friends, but not on LinkedIn. You want to be very careful what you say. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, LinkedIn doesn't make it easy for people either. Um, they're constantly changing their... Yes their system. And it's not a very, it's a very bulky kind of clumsy system. And that's where a lot of people who come to me don't know even how to load their profile. They don't even know how to put it up there. So the mechanics of it. So, so I not only help them write it, I help them upload it and everything like that. But it's something that you, more and more people really should take seriously because people are checking you out. And uh, you, you want to, this is your professional image and you want it to be the best, the most polished it can be. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's something to think about. Well, I think that's a direct message for the person who's watching this podcast on the <laughs> YouTube channel or listening to it on the audio channels is when you finish listening to Jerry, go open your LinkedIn profile and see if it mm-hmm. is up to date. Does it present yourself? Well, is it um, differentiating you from other people? Do you have typos in it? 
are you using all the features of LinkedIn? You, you can add videos, you can add articles, you can add, um, you can right. encourage people to give you recommendations and yeah. connect with people in continually growing your network. I have gotten yeah. several podcast guests from going on LinkedIn and looking at who is requesting to connect with me. And then I read their background and I say, oh, yes, I think it would be nice to have them as a guest on my podcast. Yeah. And you never know, you know when you're going to be discovered. If, if you have the right keywords throughout your profile, you know, someone searching for someone like you, a recruiter, you know, your name could pop up. It could be a dream job coming out of nowhere. Even if you're not looking for a job, it could happen. So um, I would say always, I, I, I equate it to the, to opening the door in your pajamas. You know, you don't want people to see you, you know, in such a you know, scruffy uh, appearance. You, you want to have your best foot forward. And that's LinkedIn profile is there. It's there 24 seven. So anyone can find you at any time of day or night. So you want to be able to, you want to be at your best. Gary, one of uh, the last questions I, I want to ask you, if not the last question, is how can our listener or our viewer connect with you and find out more about the services that you offer? JerryMcTighe.com, J-E-R-R-Y-M-C-T-I-G-U-E.com. That's my website. Um, you can find out about the book there. You can find about out about my advertising services and, uh, and everything. So that's, that's, that's the best it, way. Yeah. And the book again, that we've been talking about today is business blather, which is available on Jerry's website. Yes, any well, last, any last tip for us, Jerry, before we close off, if you could um, change one thing about what people are writing. Take the time to get it right. Don't put out anything that you're not sure of. Um, if if it sounds like it's not, um, if, if it, it sounds like it's not communicating properly, it's not. If it sounds too wordy, it is. So always go with your your instincts and take the time to write something that that you're really proud of and you're really excited about. And and you can't lose if that's the case. And you made a point in the book that came home for me, which is how important it is to allow something to simmer and then come back to it. You'll see it with fresh eyes. You'll catch a typo that you overlooked the first time. You'll think of a better way to phrase what you've just written. But when you try to get things out in a rush or worse, Jerry, when you are emotional, I don't know, Jerry, have you ever sent an email when you were angry and then regret yes. it? <laughs> <laughs> many, many times. Yeah. Wait till the next morning and yes. you'll see it in a different way. Yeah. Yes. That's what I would advise. Yes. Yep. You, you can avoid so much trouble if you do that. I had one experience that led to a, a huge nightmare for me because I sent an email when I was angry and the person forwarded it to a hundred people around the country, who um, all then started emailing me about what I had written in what I thought was a private email. So don't do that. Don't yeah, do that. Good, good advice, Pat. <laughs> and thank you to you, Jerry, for being part of this show. I appreciate you. 
Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. And thank you to you who's been watching this on Writing to Get Business. Please tell your friends, tell two or three people about this show. We focus on interviewing authors of books, primarily business books, and discuss the new opportunities that those books create for them, the process of writing the book, and what that does for the author. Be sure to come back next week. We'll have a new guest and a new topic. If you're looking for inspiration and a process that makes sense, that's easy, be sure to listen to David's podcast. You'll hear about his newest book and why it's important to stay relevant and deliver high quality customer experiences and make that a meaningful term and not a cliche. Thank you, David. I appreciate you. And thank you to you who's been a member of our listening and viewing audience, be sure to catch David's podcast. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.